Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of The Sophia Fisher Show. I'm your host, Sophia, and today we will be talking about the role of government, developing an expertise, and finding passion in your life. I'm so excited to announce my first guest, my dad, Vinny Fisher. He is a lawyer by trade who currently pursues a career as a business owner. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Sophia. Yeah, of course. All right, Dad, so I'd love to dive right into it by talking about the role of government. We live in a time where the true core role of government is often questioned. Is the government the one that should be making decisions on ethics and morality? And do you also believe that the size of government affects or changes the role of government? Yeah, those are big questions, Soph. So, you know, when you think about the role of government, you have to first go back to the whole primary de design of our republic, mm -hmm. right? So the, the whole design was created so that government serves the people, not that the people serve the government. So if you start with the premise of what a government is designed to do, it's designed to provide basic function mm -hmm. for its citizens. Water, you know, the movement of garbage, postal, roads, general services. And then above that, you know, a government is also designed to provide civil law. You know, as a fellow lawyer, and I know that you want to be one, uh, the design of government is to also then have a rule of law that would allow for us to be civil. And so that's the basis of it, right? You got to start with understanding that's right. the design of government. The tricky part gets when you start looking at size as it relates to the design of government. And so one of the struggles I've always had is when you think about there's really two ways to look at government. You either look at government as to provide all those services for you, and then the rest of citizens in their society will determine what's good or bad as a society to do. Then there's a bunch or a, another set of people who will decide that government is best suited to make decisions of what's best for you. And so that's the struggle is, is a government making that decision or are the people, the citizens of that government making a decision? And so wherever you land on that, you know, in some cases I can see an argument of both sides, but wherever you land on that primary argument is what really dictates some of the size. Because if you think that a government uh, for the people, by the people uh, should be smaller, then you tend to like believe things like, I don't want the government being more intrusive. Right. If you tend to think that a government um, would want to be in, in charge of designing all of policy around ethics and morality, well, then that design of government by nature is going to be a lot larger. So it's it's an interesting thing that's gone on in our time and over the last 40 years and the real large mm -hmm. size of government. We're in an interesting time. Definitely. So would you say there are pros and cons to both of those, having a larger government, having a smaller government? What's your take on that? You know, I've, I've been to some pretty less fortunate places and the rule of government in those places don't exist mm -hmm. so i'm real thankful i can tell you to have water yes. uh clean water i'm real thankful to have roads mm -hmm. uh, a public utility system even though some of it's privatized uh, i'm thankful for garbage postal uh i'm thankful for our court system i'm thankful for police departments so, i mean just a shout out to our police i mean they yes. do so much hard work for us. A rule, a standing military that's the finest military in the world. These are all things that the government 
uh, is tasked with running. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's at the federal or local level, government at its basic function is really uh, one of the greatest things as as our republic we have. Mm -hmm. So when the pros and cons exist is when you start moving away from the general design of what government was first designed to be, and you start looking at how as society falls apart, government steps in to fill in a role that quite honestly might have been uh, left to be the church or the people right. uh, of character. And now because of the lack of so many areas, the government has stepped in to fill those voids. And that's where I think so much de debate today exists over the pros and cons. So I love, a, I love a government that provides all those first things of civil law and infrastructure. Uh, I probably tend to not love a government when it um, when the court systems, instead of upholding the law, are making law. And as a lawyer, that uh, it kind of goes against the whole design of it. So I don't love the idea that we're making law and policy inside the court system today. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't love that... Um, the, the executive branch of government today, this president, even the previous presidents have been using powers to create laws when we have a system designed that our legislature should be presenting laws to our president to pass. Mm. And so I'm, I'm real discouraged about how all uh, administrations have been increasing the size of government. A government by its nature shouldn't be an economy. Uh, it should be to the serving an economy. And our government has gotten so large uh, that it's now an economy. And so mm. I fear someday our need to correct that. But when you think pros and cons, I think about the role of the size of government and how it impacts uh, going beyond some of the basic need to provide uh, a civil law and a structure that's safe for our citizens. So what can we do as people uh, that live here in America uh, who advocate for a smaller government? What can we do to play a role in all of that? It's good. You know, I think what we have to do is be educated. We have to understand why, how a government first was started, how, what was the design behind it. I think, you know, so many people are yelling and arguing today. Definitely. We're not actually talking about real issues when it comes to government. Uh, but I think if people could be a little bit more understanding and aware of both sides of that argument, I think that you'd be more uh, inclined or more, more capable of helping to uh, change uh, the next uh, generation as, as we deal for a government. But I, I'd say this, I'm not giving up the fight, but I will also say that we have crossed the line where the size of government uh, is unlikely to shrink. Uh, maybe we can uh, not continue to expand it. Right, so where is that line drawn? Is, there, is it a gray area? Is it gray? Um, is it a black and white issue? Where do we draw that line? Yeah, I, I guess it depends on your ideology. Right? Hmm. So, you know, I don't know that there's a right and wrong answer to some of that. So, you know, one of my favorite historians, but is also a uh, amazing um, jurist, was Oliver Wendell Holmes. And he said that, you know, the greatest part of your system, the design of its greatness, will only be determined by the protection of the least of us. So if we have such a small amount um of protection for the least of our society, then maybe we're not a great society. So as government increases in size, uh, we have this large gap that's happening between the wealth of this country and the poor of this country. Mm -hmm. And so the need for government to step in and to provide basic provision is one thing. This idea to institute government to fill in for that gap is an entirely another discussion and one that unfortunately I don't think is being had very well. Hmm. So do you think that dependency on the government can sometimes be dangerous? If so, how? 
Well, I think if you're looking for the government to provide you um, a solution to, um, you know, that's a great question. I think if you're looking for government to provide you, you know, your ethical and moral code, then, yeah. boy, I'll tell you, you start to really dance a scary line because a government isn't a thing. We, the people, are the, are the people who serve in government. So to allow a thing, an inanimate object, to actually decide the moral code, I think we get real dangerous when we look to mm-hmm. uh, a government to, to really uh, define the character and integrity of the people. So where do you think the people should look to for then that moral code, if not government? You know, you're getting into some deep things that aren't about government any longer. And so I don't think that, you know, there's a reason why the separation from church and state is real. And one of the reasons has nothing to do with state removing God out of the system. The argument behind church and state was that so that state could not dictate someone's religious beliefs. So we have this reverse today. It's not church impinging on state. It's state inhibiting the ability to practice your Hmm. beliefs. So if we could allow for that to reset itself and allow a a faith-based people to uh, lean into faith for these issues, that would be probably a far better solution than to allow government to fill in for something it should have never done in the first place. Hmm. I love that. So as you might know, our audience is made up of a lot of people around my age, often referred to as Gen Z. What would be your advice to my generation on developing an expertise and what does that look like? You know, there's I'm so thankful for technology. We wouldn't even have all the things we're doing now, this show, all this awesome stuff, these lights, like all this cool things, this, this amazing show, by the way. But great job on your show. So. Thank you so much. So proud of you. This is awesome. I, I'm excited to uh, hear more about the Voices of Reason. But like everyone is in a hurry today. And so even getting ready for the show, this show is a good thing. You have to do it. In order to actually get, I I say you have to get at bats, right? You have to get at bats in doing the show. And so your 10th show will be a lot better than your first one, even though I'm on your first one. (laughs) Your 10th one will be a lot better than your first one. And, And one of the things that I would say is for young people, I know this is a show of young people, you bring two things to the table. I say this to all of my young team in our company. You bring time and effort. You don't have a lot of expertise right now. You have a, you have a lot to offer. And I'm so thankful that you have an opinion and you're excited about the zeal of life and you you want to fight for social issues and you care about the general welfare of, of, of our citizenry. I love that. Citizenry around the world. I'm so impassioned by young people. But what I'm scared about is that you immediately want to skip over doing the work to develop expertise, putting the time in. You need to get the at-bats, the real at-bats to develop over, you know, it's not about, you know, failing. It's about trying. It's not about giving up. It's about enduring. You know, we have to let perseverance run its race so that you don't lack anything, so that you're mature and you're complete. Well, more young people need to know this, that sometimes things suck and sometimes things are hard, but that doesn't mean we give up or go for the easy road. And I'll tell you what I see of people who are successful, and you fill in the category. If your success is designed or defined by money, so be it. If your success is defined by impact, fame, health, there's so many ways that we can put a calculation to success. 
But the most successful people that I know put the effort in mm-hmm. to develop an expertise over time. That time, because of of technology, has been the ability has been massively um, shrunken. You can leapfrog so much time. You can collapse time in expertise. But doing the hard work is so critical. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say. This show is a perfect example. You're going to need to do like more of them. And then when we go back and watch this one and I get welcome back to your 50th episode, or, <laughs> because mine will be the most popular, of course, uh, then you'll you'll see the development of how you've become a better interviewer, a better, uh, you've, you've figured out and rounded the edges of all the things you're nervous about. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I wish young people today would say is put the time in, put the effort in. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, you'll see what an overnight success will look like if you just put the 18 months in. Hmm. So how can one develop that hard work ethic that you're talking about? Yeah, I just think grit is a, is a function of work. I think that, you know, I've never been the smartest guy in the room. I've never been, I might be the best looking guy in the room, but I've never been uh, the guy that um, has the natural intellect. I just outwork everybody. And so I just didn't know any better, but the, I didn't give up. Hmm. Maybe the poor kid in me uh, just wanted more, but I just didn't give up. I, I, I didn't take no for an answer. Uh, I still don't take no for an answer. I, I tend to be someone who looks for forgiveness, not permission. But but I, I would just say, just you work, outwork everybody. That's literally the secret. The problem is no one likes that advice. They want the easy button advice. They want the advice that looks like, oh, you know, just think it, it'll be. How about just do it and it'll be? Hmm. When a lot of things are fighting for attention, how can we find our niche? Hmm. You know, I think it's part of that secret in there of trying some things. And, you know, I think about food for my soul, you know, and things that I do, what really feeds my soul. Mm. And I, I sometimes I'm surprised by the answer to that. Things I do to help people, uh, some of the ways I make money, some of the ways I parent, uh, my, spend time with my wife, help men in their marriage. Each person has different ways that we've been designed and our, we can feed our soul. And so I think you find out by trial and error. I don't think you magically know it right away. And I think you can try a lot of things and you'll find out some things work and some don't. And along the way, gosh darn it, you'll build an expertise. Love that. So today we hear a lot about finding your passion. In your opinion, how do we find passion in life? You know, back building on that whole idea about niche, hmm. right? Uh, it took me a long time to develop some of those niches. First, I, I went to law school. Uh, I was married, of course, at that time. And so I learned the first phase of marriage. But even as a young person, before Debbie and our family, uh, I would have been busy doing college, figuring out the early days of bartending and putting myself through school. You start to learn the things you do when you don't like. One of the funny things that's being discussed today that I, I don't, I rarely don't try to separate generations, but in my generation, I suspect before my generation, I believe in the societal swing of a pendulum. So I think that we can have swings. So if you look back 40 to 60 years ago, I suspect some of the language that was being used then is what's going on right now. And so I suspect if we looked into that era, we would hear things like, you know, you need to go find your passion. And what we're hearing today is you need to go find your passion. Well, I didn't hear that when I was your age, younger. We heard like, get to work. (laughs) And so that's why older people might say, just shut up and get to work. And you might sound like they're yelling at you, but that was what we were taught when we were age, just get to work. Well, one of the things I'm really scared about, forgetting which generation we're in, Mm. 
I'm mostly scared about this idea that things provide passion. Mm -hmm. Things don't provide passion. You, this God-made, beautiful person, provides passion. The passion that lives in you, you bring to things. Other external, inanimate things, like this beautiful microphone we're talking into, or this brush that she used to get ready for the show and brush my hair, <laughs> that stuff is just stuff. Things don't provide us passion. We bring it to things. And so I'm real scared today. Um, I know I can sound a little fatherly in some of this part of it, but when I think about this idea that find your passion, it's, it's not found in the activities we do. What I would love it, if there's anything you heard so far, is find the passion inside of you, the talents, the, what have been given to you that you didn't do anything to earn, and go bring those into the things you do, and you'll find that it's you. You're the component of passion. Other things external to you aren't. And so this journey of like this niche, this idea of your passion, the role in government, they actually all have a common theme. That's why I love this show and I love what we're talking about. It's this common theme about you and what is your identity? Like mm -hmm. where, what, how do you find who you are, what you were made to do? And so a lot of times I say, you know, how do we live in answers, not questions? And so as we're struggling through finding passion, how, what, what does that really mean? You know, how do you find passion down deep in that soul? And how does it come alive? Well, looking for your identity. Where, where is that placed? Is it placed in the size of your bank account? Is it placed in the success of your relationship with your current whoever? Is it, is it placed in your friend group or the grades you're getting in school or the pressures to find the right career? Or, or is it placed in something bigger in who you are as a, as a friend, who you are, you know, for me as a child of God, and who you are as, uh, as a people group in your community? Well, that, if you look there and you say, okay, wait a minute, all this stuff is going on. I didn't, may or may not have been accepted to the right school. I may or may not have been uh, placed in the right relationship. Or I might have, you know, been broken up by a, a guy or the gal I thought was the one. Well, we can get real down and say, okay, why me? Why is all this happening? Why didn't I get into the right school? Uh, whose fault is it that I'm not dating Ted, the football star? I don't even know who Ted is, but let's just say we knew who Ted was. Well, that can be a dangerous place to get trapped as we discover passions in us. We could live in answers and say, okay, here's, here's where my life is. You know, I never imagined that these were some of the turns I was going to be in, but what can I do with where I'm at? What can I do with the way I've been built? You know, how can I impact more people? So if we can live with what's and how's, which are answers, way more than why's and who's, which are questions, I think this journey of kind of weaving through life and kind of doing the long work, right? Let's go back to what we said. Do the long work. Do the work of developing expertise. Kind of find the things that feed your soul. Hmm. Like, what kind of stuff do you enjoy doing more than other things you don't? Yep. And then through there, you see how you're positioned and what way can you make a massive impact? What part of your life can you work to impact more people? And how can you help others to really get ahead? Because if you want to see where passion really lies, mm -hmm. Sophia, it lies in actually helping others uh, and making uh, yourself last and them first. And by doing that, 
you'll get so many things. Like today I have so many things by offering value first in our community and, and the rest goes from there. So two questions to follow yep. up with that. What do you do when the people around you aren't supportive of your passions? And to follow up with that, what can we do to renew our mind on truth when we're dealing with a lot of that hardship? You know, so uh, I always think of uh, really a big statement, bad company corrupts good character. Hmm. And, you know, I... I hate to say, like, sometimes we have to cycle out the groups we're in. You know, you'll mature and you'll grow up. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't fit neat into the story. Other times, uh, it's you just being uh, more loving, uh, more loving of the uh, the differences of people around you. But if they're not supportive of it, uh, welcome to the world. Because there's going to be a lot of people. You know, that song, I always joke, I get it all wrong, but hate are going to hate. Because... <laughs> It's, you know, people are, are always going to knock you down because it's not you, it's them needing to be closer. And the only way to get them, that you closer to them is by knocking you down a few pegs. So you're going to have a bunch of that. I always say you're not doing something right uh, unless you've got a few haters. And, you know, I always jokingly say without the, you can't make an omelet unless you break a few eggs. And so hmm. I don't know if I shoot for not having people dislike me or not, uh, but I do know this. I don't let that noise of them agreeing or disagreeing with me impact uh, the faith I have um, of moving forward. So I accept mm. the brutal reality that I'm in. I accept the brutal reality of people not agreeing with me. And I have the faith and hope that uh, I'm going to prevail. Love that. All right. Well, that was all the questions I had for you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. So thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to more episodes of The Voices of Reason and see where you're going with this. So what's the whole plan with the show? Like, where, what do you hope to accomplish with this? With The Sophia Fisher Show, I would love to talk about all things politics and just life in general. Uh, I want to speak to my generation and anyone else who would love to listen and just be real. Uh, and just be transparent. That's what I'm all about. And then the Sophia Fisher Show is partnered with the Voices of Reason, and the Voices of Reason is a political brand, and we're all about breaking the political mm. norm. We're about loving one another, no matter where you land on the political spectrum. It's easy to be mean, right? Mm. It's not It's not easy to be kind. So I want to be countercultural. I want to be different. I want to show others that even when all the noise is like around you and it's what you're used to, you can be different. I'll tell you, I'll give you one little thing if you think about. I, I don't know if it's easier not to be nice or it is easier to be nice, but I, I would give you hmm. an encouragement to everyone. Just have a predetermined yes. I'm going to choose hmm. to be kind. And uh, people are, hurting people hurt people. And there are going to be all kinds of situations, but my predetermined yes is to be kind. And in all situations, uh, to use kindness as a way to help someone uh, wherever they are in their journey. And so I uh, look forward to the show. What kind of guests do you think you'll have on the show? I don't know. I'm. That's something that I'm definitely going to have to look into. You were definitely the first one, and all I'm right. honored and so glad that you were able to be here. And yeah, we'll definitely see. I would love to have people reaching out, or I'm going to definitely be reaching out to people as well. So, so that's what to is, be determined. What is, um, it sounds like I'm asking like about a puppet or something, but what is a Gen Z? Gen Z, well, there's been different names for each generation. Okay. So Gen Z in itself, I don't know why we got that name, but just thinking about like millennials and like all the different kinds mm. of names we've been given as a generation. I, I'm not an expert on that, so I don't know why we've been named Gen Z. If you do, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so I think you know the the, the naming of generations are always amazing, right? <laughs> uh, but you're you know I think there's a, a, a the nickname of your generation is still not 
uh, concluded yet. It's too early, hmm. you know. And so the millennial age, the millennial, uh, whether or not it's going to be the age of the internet, you know, the age of information, or the hmm. offended generation, is still in play. Uh, what's going to happen with the age uh, with yours? There's still time to laugh, but the Gen Z is really just next in line alphabetically. Yeah. So that's it, yeah. right? So nothing more than that. But I, I was more joking with, like, <laughs> what is the identity of the Gen Z? I don't think we've figured that out yet either. It's early. So from right? someone who's not uh, Gen Z and looking at our generation, uh, I guess an outside perspective, what, what are your ta- what's your take on Gen Z right now? I'll tell you, I'm real excited about, you know, I think the, the knock on the millennial age, uh, millennial generation was been that uh, a lot of uh, snowflakes, entitlement. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the knock, right? I don't know that I resonate with that because I have a lot of people on my team who are millennials and it's the majority of the workforce today. But it is actually the um, social joke of society. Well, I'm very encouraged, uh, if you're any re- representation of the Gen Z, is that the grit and the fight to push ahead and mm. not to be defined by a people group as a whole. I love what's happening with your age group, and I hope that continues. I hope that's a, a trend that plays out and uh, that yeah. we can maybe quiet down this offended generation a little bit and uh, have more of a, mm. a, a, a hardworking individual individualized uh, generation ahead for years to come. How can we do better at not being easily offended? Just not take ourselves so seriously. Like I, if we could just start there, like, you know, the the fun thing is I I have a very serious job and I have a dad of four kids and a great wife and I have all these, these burdens and and some of them self-imposed, but I just don't take myself that seriously. Hmm. I mean, I, I I tried I might get in trouble too much for for <laughs> for for not doing that. Things are hard, things are tough, but I think if we weren't tied so tightly first off, um, we could probably have more room to give other people the benefit of the doubt. Do you think being easily offended and then also extending like forgiveness? Those go hand in hand? I, I think if you don't like yourself and you don't if you can't forgive yourself and you don't see value in what how mm. you've been created, I think it's very hard to then look to others and to be able to be kind, compassionate, caring, and forgiving towards them. So if you can accept the love uh, of God, if you can find that mm-hmm. love and value that's placed in you, you will be more inclined to actually be loving towards other people. I love that. In the Bible, it talks about like God literally being love. I think it's so neat because the more that we get to know Him, it's so cool because if we're getting to know love more, which is God, then our ability to love others is so much greater. What do you think about that? It's a big topic, but I'll tell you, you know, the more I can find um, getting the darkness out of my heart and all mm. the things that, you know, the h- hiding, shame, doubt, fear, false, and replace that with love, kindness, compassion, caring, mm. uh, well, then I can see other people way differently. Uh, and I'd say the more of that love in me, then, you know, the, then, then I'm probably more worried about the love, the light coming out of me than mm. the light shining on me. I love that. Yeah. Well, that's all that I had for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast and be sure to subscribe to hear more. Bye guys. See ya. <laughs>